We stand and applaud for an incredible God and a young man who loves Jesus willing to be used by him. God is good, amen? He is so good. They could not. I um, I Britt told me about a series that they're playing on one of the channels that I don't get. And for some reason, that channel all of a sudden appeared in my, my satellite. But it's Morgan Freeman and The Search for God. Anybody seen any of that? You know, anybody? Yeah, it's, it's pretty interesting. Morgan Freeman, by the way, is a real liberal thinker. And you hear that in his theology. A great actor. I mean, I, I enjoy his acting. But uh, don't, don't, follow him, don't follow his theology because it's all weird. And he basically said that, you know, there's really just, you know, multiple ways to God. And what he's doing is he's just going around the world talking to different religions. And, you know, he talked about, you know, Mohammed. He talked about Hindu and Buddhism and kind of threw Christ in there. And let me tell you something, Mr. Freeman. <laughs> you can compare Christianity to a lot of things, but there is no comparison. There is no comparison to Jesus Christ. I want you to know that today. There is no comparison to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Every one of those religious founders are dead in the grave, rotted, and went back to dust. And without Christ, will spend eternity in a place called hell. But the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, who willingly died on a cross and was buried on the third day and resurrected on, excuse me, and resurrected on the third day, he is not there. He is alive. And Mr. Freeman, he is the way, the truth, and the life. And the only way, the only truth, and the life. And I'm glad today we serve that kind of a big, big God. Um, you know, I was watching the Hindus, and I'm not trying to slam anybody, but of course they believe in reincarnation, and they believe you, you die and you get another start, you get another start, you get a start, and then you get, take your body down and burn it on the, on the edge of the river there, and then, uh, then like I say, they, they float you off and you get, come back again. Now, how hopeless, besides Christianity, how hopeless are all the religions of the world? It's kind of a hope so maybe thing. It's if God's in a good, their God is in a good mood that day. Um, or like you say, you just keep starting over and over and over again. I'm glad that there's a plan. I'm glad there's grace. I'm glad there's a God, a creator God, a mighty God, an almighty God who really, really exists and really, really loves us. And that's the God I want to talk to you about today. We're in the midst of this series entitled Day Spring. It's a day of life in Jesus Christ. And basically it's a 24-hour period that's recorded for us by Matthew in Matthew chapter 14. And we started out, you know, we talked about in hard times and difficult times. And, and then last week we talked about the feeding of the 5,000. The only miracle besides the resurrection recorded by all of the four gospel writers. And then today, probably, again, it's in three of them. It's just one of those wonderful, wonderful uh, teachings, stories that will teach us a lot. Now, as I get older and I, 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 uh, I mature some in my teaching... There is a time we would rant and rave and, and clap and all that stuff. And I want to make sure you understand something. You know, when the Word of God records something, it is for a purpose. It is for a purpose. And our goal as teachers and preachers should always remain to be true to the Word of God. What is the author trying to say? Now, with that said, with that said, this particular scripture in Matthew chapter 14 is just pregnant with truth and lessons that we can learn today. 
So I really hope that as we, as we study the Word of God together today, that you'll be able to go. When you leave here today, you'll say, you know what? There was something, not from Dwayne, but there was something from the Word of God today that will impact and change my life. So, so again, John the Baptist has been beheaded. Jesus went away to get by himself. When he got there, he found a huge crowd of people. He taught them. He didn't run them off. He didn't say, ain't got time for you. He feeds in a total number of somewhere around 10,000 people with just a few loaves and a few fish. Just an amazing thing. But now, supper is over. And what we have is what happens and follows that great miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. But what we have... What we find are teachings that impact us where we live. You see, this great, great, big God wants us to have faith in Him. Let me read to you a scripture that we'll probably use a little bit later on in the scripture also, but let me read it to you now. It says, without faith. Now, I know, I know, we have a tendency, we live in a world where we want to see, you know, you folks from Missouri, I know there's one that's 60 years old today from, from, from Missouri, and you know, it's known as the show me state. I, I won't believe it unless you show me. Well, God doesn't do it that way. He says, now, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. For the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists, and that he rewards those who seek him. So God doesn't say that we are to walk by sight. Rather, he is a God who says, if you're going to come to me, you've got to come by the way of faith. And we wrestle with that. Particularly, sometimes with the circumstances we find ourselves in, we wrestle with that. So if you've got your sermon sheet out, you've got a piece of paper, um, this will be later on online. I really believe it's something we need to hear because in a world that's so skeptical today, we still serve a God who says, I want you to believe in me and trust me by faith. So in Matthew chapter 14, verse, we're going to start out with verse number 22 and 23, and here's what happens. The Bible says, immediately he made the disciples to get into the boat. And to go ahead of him to the other side, while he dismissed the crowds. After dismissing the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself, this is so appropriate, to pray. And when evening came, he was there by himself, or he was there alone. So the question's got to be, what, now listen, what is the urgency? What is the urgency? In, in the English it's clear, and also in the Greek it's clear the word immediately is a sense of urgency. And he made the disciples get into the boat. The Greek word there means the word compel, to compel. So whatever's going on here, it's exactly what it says. After he feeds the 5,000, the 10,000 total, he looks to the disciples and says these words. Basically, he says, now, listen, are you listening? Go get in the boat and leave. Go get in the boat and leave. I'm going to stay behind and dismiss the crowd. You go get into the boat. What's the deal? What's the deal? The deal is, again, we have different spots from the different gospel writers. And John chapter 6 and verse 15, who also records this story, here's what John records. When Jesus perceived that they were going to take him by force and make him king, he compelled the disciples to leave. Here's the problem. 
The problem was the people were so enamored with the miracle working power of Jesus that they were going to force him to be king. They had no concept of who Jesus was. They had no concept that he was the suffering Messiah. All they knew was, was a man who could feed 10,000 people with a few loaves and some fish, a man who could heal the sick, a man who could raise people from the dead, surely can overthrow the Roman government. We want you to be king. And the reason Jesus compels them to leave is that he understands that he's fixing to be made a king and the time he's not right and the type of kingship is not right. And apparently, he believes that the boys, the men, were caught up in this. I mean, come on. You know the story. You know, come, follow me. They sold their boats. They sold their nets. And they chose to follow Jesus. The problem was, they saw Jesus as a king who would come on this earth and rule and reign at that time and overthrow the Roman government. They saw a good deal. They saw a deal in the sense that he was going to be king and they were going to be princes. What a great deal. Now, later they understood more. But early on in the ministry, that's exactly what they thought. He was the Messiah. He was the Christ. He was the one who was going to overthrow the Roman government. So he didn't want them becoming enamored with the wrong kind of Messiah. Listen carefully. Write this down. We must be careful. We must be careful that we don't make God into a God that he's not. We've got to be careful. To make God, not to make God into a God that he is not. Patrick Overton in his book, The Details of Life, says this. There's a God who is and a God most people want and they are not the same. You see, Jesus could not be a bread Messiah. When he was tempted in Luke chapter 4 by Satan, he hadn't eaten in 40 days. And Satan came along and said, hey, why don't you just turn these stones into bread? And all that, you'll be fed, but the people will love it. Anybody who can provide bread, they will certainly follow. But the problem was, he could not be a bread Messiah and be the Savior. His destiny was a Roman cross. Primarily, listen now, primarily he did not come to feed the world. Primarily, he did not come to heal the world. Primarily, he came to suffer and die and pay for the sins of people like you and I. Principally, he came as the Lamb of God, as a Savior. So the reason the urgency is there is Jesus senses that they're going to come and make him something he's not. He's going to make him into a bread Messiah. We must be careful to understand that, G- that God is creator God. That Jesus is the savior of the world. And of all the things he is, that is the primary thing that he is. We've got to remember that we are the created and he is the creator. He is God and we are not. That will be that will make life a lot easier for you when you begin to understand that, wait a minute, I'm not God. I'm just a created being. And God really is God. So then after all of this, after he gets the crowds gone, and after the boys are sent off in the boat, the Bible says, after the missing, after dismissing the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. He went away. To get alone to pray. Does it just, don't you think it's really cool that the Son of God prayed? In fact, isn't it cool that not only that, not only did he pray, he made it a priority? 
You know, some of y'all say, you know, we don't have time to pray. Isn't it amazing? Isn't it totally cool that, that Jesus, the Son of God, after he's learned earlier in the day his cousin's been beheaded, after he takes a boat ride across the lake and then feeds 10,000 people and teaches them and heals their sick, that after that he sends the boys away, he knows the importance of prayer and finds time to pray. Pretty cool. It's pretty cool. And again, if Jesus thought that important, certainly it should be important to us. So then you ask yourself, well, what did he pray about? Well, we really don't know. And again, when I, when I don't know, I'm going to tell you I don't know. One speculation was is that perhaps he was beginning to pray about this king thing again. We know in the garden he said, you know, Lord, if there's Father, if there's any way for this thing to pass, then let it be so. But if not, not my will be done, but thy will be done. And, you know, we know he was tempted in Luke chapter 4 again by, by three or four different ways where Satan says, you don't have to go to the cross. Be a bread Messiah. Be a miracle worker. Do these different things. Hey, fall down and worship me for just a little while. Just, just for a moment in time. And I'll give you all these things. Perhaps in humanity, he was wrestling with that king thing. Let's face it, a bread Messiah is a lot easier than a crucified Savior. Learn that, by the way. No one said, I said this, this last Wednesday night, I don't know who started the rumor, but someone has said that being a Christ follower is easy. That following a Christ, but that comes from the mentality of wanting a bread Messiah. Follow Jesus, everything's okay. Follow Jesus, you never get sick. Follow Jesus, you never lose your job. Follow Jesus, everything's great. The only problem is you might find that in Reader's Digest, but you don't find it in the Word of God. Jesus said in this world, we're going to have tribulation. Well, Dwayne, then who wants to follow that? Anybody who truly understands how awesome and big God is and how much he loves us and how great his grace is and the fact that he died for us. Anyone who begins to get an understanding of who Christ is and anyone, any man who loves us that much deserves our following. Deserves our following. But here's the good part. I think there was something else. You know, Mark recorded for us. Let me read it to you. Mark 6, 48. Same, same instance. Here it speaks of Jesus. He saw them being battered as they rode because the wind was against them. He saw them being battered as they rode because the wind was against them. I don't believe I'm stepping too far outside of Scripture to make a safe assumption that as Jesus was on the mountain praying and as he looked out in the lake and saw those men that he loved so much and their wind, the wind was against them and the waves were battering them, I've just got a feeling we can safely assume that he whispered a prayer to the Father, Father, take care of those who follow me. You know, the Bible says that Jesus is an intercessor for us. And just as surely as I believe he prayed for those men in that boat that night because they were in the midst of a storm, as surely as Jesus prayed for them, you need to understand the Bible teaches that Christ is an intercessor for us as we're in the boat in the storm being battered. Someone say amen. See, that's the, that's the man Jesus sang about. That's the man Tyler, excuse me, Tyler sang about. What a wondrous, powerful God. And verse 24 and 25, it's like scene two 
Jesus is still on the mountain. He's praying. And now we get to the boys. The Bible says in verse 24, But the boat was already over a mile from land, battered by the waves, because the wind was against them. Now keep in mind, they left about sunset. This is not a big deal, though, because a lot of the guys in these boats were fishermen. So they were used to fishing at night. That's not too big of a deal. But the bottom line is, the wind came up, and as the wind came up, the waves got up. As the waves got up, they found themselves battling a pretty good storm. Now, there's some good truth here that I think we need to grab. First off, this. Notice they're in a boat a mile from land. Have you ever felt like you're in a boat a mile from land? Has the circumstances in your life ever felt like you're in a boat all by yourself? Yeah, the answer is yes. You know, we go through things in life and and it seems like no one understands. No one feels what we're going through. We're all by ourselves. And then we all probably know what it feels like to be battered by the waves. This word batter is a real interesting word. It means in the Greek physical torture. Physical torture. Torture. These, these men, as they're going through this storm, as they're going through these waves, were physically tortured by these waves. In other words, as they're battling the waves, they're in physical agony. But the Bible says also in one of the other gospel writers that by this time the sail's down and they're trying to row them themselves through the waves. It's bad enough to be in a boat by yourself, but it's also a bad thing when the waves are battling you. Because the wind was against them. Now this is where I want to be very clear. The word wind here in the Greek means a fierce, a blowing wind. There is no spiritual connotation to this use of the wind. But let me read to you Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 and 2 to bring in a different side of this. Ephesians 2, 1 and 2, the Bible says, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Verse 2, In which you once walked according to the course of the air, according to the prince of the power of the air. According to the prince and the power of the air. Holman Christian Standard puts it this way. According to the ruler who exercises authority over the lower heavens. I think I would be stretching too far To say that Satan was the instigator of the storm. But I will tell you this. I'm not overstepping biblical bounds by saying this. That it was in the authority, according to scripture, it was in the authority of Satan to cause the wind. And the wind was against them. Here's what I want you to take home. The prince of the power of the air... The the ruler who who exercises authority of the lower heavens is your enemy... He is against you. So when you find yourself in the boat and the waves are big and the wind is against you, just keep in mind this. That there is an adversary and his name is Satan. And he has a certain amount of power and he has a certain amount of authority. But he is not all powerful and he does not have all authority. But he is opposed to you. Take that home. 
Don't you dare get into the, the mode of life where we say, well, you know, the devil's the guy with the little tail and little horns and he's red. You know, the kind of guy we see in the cartoons. He's a very, very real adversary. And as a child of God, he opposes you. And I promise you, a lot of the waves we go through in life, a lot of the storms that we go through in life are waves and storms that he stirs up. See, if you've ever been to the Gulf of Mexico or been to one of these large lakes, you know when the, when the wind is still, the lake is still. When the wind blows, the lake develops waves. Satan is a, stop, a, a pot stirrer. And he desires to stir up storms in our lives with the purpose of getting us to doubt God. Just file that away. Just file that away. Don't look for a devil behind every bush. Not saying that. But just be aware that there's an adversary who is against you. And he'll stir up waves in your life for the purpose of getting you to doubt God. So, about this time, remember now it's very late. In fact, the Bible says in verse 25, around 3 in the morning. Now, I promise you this. At 3 o'clock in the morning, I'm not in a boat. Unless, of course, I could, could call my bed my boat. I mean, I'm just not one of those late night people. Now, and keep in mind, if they set off sometime right around sunset, they've been in this storm for about five or six hours. They've taken the sail down. And they're in physical agony, the Bible says, as they row. They're being physically tortured, trying to overcome the waves and trying to overcome the wind. And the Bible says about three in the morning, he came toward them walking on the sea. Now, it's about time, this time, that someone here might say, or perhaps someone listening on the radio might say, yeah, that's one of those Bible stories, Dwayne. Let me tell you something about these Bible stories. The Bible declares itself to be the written word of God. It has stood the test of time. It is older than any other scriptural writing and more authenticated than any scriptural writing. And I just call me crazy, but I'm just crazy enough to believe when a book has stood the millennia, the millennia, the millennia like this has I think I'm going to believe it more than your college professor. I'm going to believe this more than David Muir on ABC News. I'm going to believe this more than the different organizations in America that claim atheistic rights. I'm just going to claim the book not because I'm naive, but because I've got common sense. And when something like this has been proven over thousands of years, you kind of go with it. Again, you don't see Holy Bible Revision 1.97444. You find that in the Quran. They have a committee who, who keeps, you know, keeps going over the Quran saying, what's the latest revelation of Muhammad? Because Muhammad's revelation, they will tell you this, Muhammad's revelations will contradict themselves. What's the latest one? Because we don't follow the latest one. We don't have that problem. Because the Word of God is the Word of God. You can trust it and you can Believe it. So, 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 Dwayne, are you saying that, would you make yourself clear? Honey, I am trying. 
Wayne, are you saying then that you believe that 10,000 people were fed before this happened? I absolutely believe that. Dwayne, do you believe then that there is an adversary? Absolutely. Dwayne, do you believe that Jesus came walking on the water doing something physically impossible? Do you believe at 3 o'clock in the morning Jesus shows up walking on the water? Uh, yeah, hello. I certainly do, without an inch or shred of doubt in my mind. So he shows up at 3 o'clock in the morning. Now this is where, again, this is not, this is where, you know, preachers can say certain things and people go, oh, yeah, amen, yeah. This is not one of those. I want you to understand something. I want you to grasp this. It says he came at 3 o'clock in the morning. He came toward them walking on what? Walking on the water. Walking on the sea. Walking on the waves. We do not stretch the word of God. Don't lose the importance of this. The very thing that threatened the men in the boat, Jesus is walking on. Can I say it again? Yeah, come on. The very thing that threatened the lives of the men in the boat, Jesus is walking on. You do understand, if he is who he says he is and, and was what he said he was, he could have flown to the boat. He could have been the original Iron Man. I guess he was the original Superman. He could have zoomed in, landed in the boat and say, Hi, boys. He's proving something. And don't forget now, by now they're four or five miles out in the middle of the sea, the lake. He's walked a long way. And he's walking on what threatened them. Now here's what I'm trying to say. Take this home with you. Write it down. Burn it in your heart however you want to do it. Your God, if you are a Christ, if you are a Christ follower, you need to understand that your Savior is greater than anything that threatens you. If your great fear is death, he's done defeated death. If you're worried about your sin debt, he can take care of your sin debt. If you're worried about illness, he'll either heal you now or heal you later, but he'll heal you. There is nothing, there is nothing, there is nothing, there is nothing, there is nothing that's bigger and stronger than our God and his son Jesus Christ. I don't know what it is you fear today, but if you are a Christ follower, some of you may be going, Wait, my greatest fear is death because I don't notice Jesus. I know, listen, I've got enough common sense about me to know that the end's not the end. The question is, I don't know where I'm going to spend the end. And Dwayne, if what you said today is true, what you preach here at church, my end's going to be a lake of fire forever. He can take care of that too. He can take care of that too. He would love nothing more than you put your faith and trust in who he is and what he can do even today. So he comes walking on the water, and in the darkest hour, and the darkest hour, he comes walking on the water, walking on the things that threaten them. And the Bible says next, third scene. And when the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. And I suppose I would be too. See, God is the kind of God that shows up in unexpected times in unexpected ways. Of all the things they were expecting, I promise you, it wasn't Jesus walking on the water. Has God ever surprised you? 
Has God, have you ever thought, he ain't going to show up? He ain't going to show up. And just right, right on time, he shows up. He did it on this. In the fullness of time, in the fullness of time, the Bible says, God sent forth his son, born of a virgin. At just the right time. I say, and so what the old gospel song says, so I can't believe I'm quoting a gospel song. Oh, my goodness. Here we go. But God may not be early, but he's never late. He's never late. So, so he shows up and the boys are just terrified. And they say it's a ghost and they cried out with fear. Now you would think, this is encouraging, you think that after they had seen 10,000 people fed, they'd go, oh. But here's the deal. Why, why are they going, it's a ghost? And by the way, the word ghost there is not like someone who's died and it's their, their ghost. It's kind of like a, a, a magical thing. There's this magic going on here. Why were they afraid and why did they think it was a ghost? Now listen. One, they're tired. They're tired. Assuming they didn't sleep while Jesus was ministering and all of that, they've been up now about, about 20, 25 hours. And when you get tired, it does things to you. Church, we stay too tired. We let this life run us to death. And don't you think it's an accident. The enemy knows when God's people get fatigued, they make mistakes. That's why God gave us the Sabbath. And that's why it's the only one of the Ten Commandments that was not overridden or superseded by Jesus Christ. We need rest. Someone say amen. We need it. We need it. Two, they were afraid. Fear and fatigue go to de- go together. Fear and fatigue go together. They were afraid. They were seeing something that their mind could not comprehend. And frankly, at this point in the ministry, their faith was small. Their faith was small. And so their, their first thought that should have been, is this the guy who fed 10,000 was? Instead, it was, it's a ghost. It's a ghost. And then Jesus speaks. Immediately... Immediately, Jesus spoke to them. This is good now. Have courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. I would be so bold to say that that might well be the Holy Spirit's message to someone in this room today. Have courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. The words there, have courage, can be translated, take heart. In Deuteronomy 1, 31, 6, be strong and courageous. Don't be terrified or afraid of them. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. You can have courage because you don't face the waves by yourself. You can have courage because you, the one who opposes you, is under the foot of holy God. God is all-powerful. Satan is not. And even when we are forced or called to go through a storm, when, when his dictates for us is a storm, he is with us. When will he leave us and forsake us? Never. Never. Amen, sister. Never. So Jesus says... 
Take courage. Have courage. Take heart. It is I. And this is so good I can't stand it. You know what it is I translates in the Greek? I am. I am. And if you remember the story from, from the Old Testament when Moses said, Well, who should I tell them? God, you're sending me to Egypt. Who should I tell them sent me? Tell them I am has sent you. And later on, Jesus, time and time again, he says, he says, before, before Moses was, I am. Before Abraham is, I am. I am the living bread or living water. I am the bread of life. I am the door. I am the way, the truth, and the life. So what he says here, hey, hey, you can have courage. Because guess what? God just showed up. <laughs> I'll do that one again for you. You can have courage. You know why? Because God just showed up. Now listen, I don't know. Listen, I don't know what you're facing. And I'm not saying it's easy. A dear sister wrote me this morning, texted me, and said what they've been going through this last week or so is the hardest thing they've ever been through. Again, following Christ may not be easy, but He never leaves and He never forsakes. And He always shows up. He always shows up. Hey, take heart. Be, be of good courage. I am. God, I am. I've showed up. So you don't have to be afraid. See, take the most ferocious, mean, junkyard dog you can find. I mean, he's got fangs this long. He's slobbering down his chin and down his chest. And he's looking at you and your hairs standing up on the back of your neck and you're kind of like twitching and then you notice something that big old junkyard dog has a big old chain a logging chain around his neck and you follow that chain up into the hand of one who holds it and it's not a three-year-old little girl that holds the chain. It's not some weakened, wimpy hand of some religious icon holding the chain. The chain is held by the one who suffered and died, buried and resurrected forever and ever to live. The chains held by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You ain't got nothing to worry about because God's got a hold of the chain. I know. What was this? What was the intro of this message? Faith. I'll never forget. And when Trim was about this big. I think I was taller than him, if you can imagine that. And I remember him talking to his daddy one night. And dad was talking to him about faith and trusting God and all that. And he said, you know, dad, I get all that. He goes, but sometimes you just need a little flesh and bones. I understand. It's so easy to stand up here on this stage and read the word of God and talk about, and you missed your trials to trust God. But just remember, he calls us as a people of faith. Of faith. So, so he says, you don't have to be afraid. Because I'm here. Him being there is better than a luxury liner. Him being there is better than a life 
preserver. Him being there is better than being a champion swimmer. Him being there is all you need. I watched that movie, The Guardian, and they trained those, those rescue swimmers, the, the Coast Guard left, uh, rescue swimmers. And they swim up the person, and the first thing they say is, don't be afraid, I am a U.S. Coast Guard rescue swimmer. And Jesus might as well walked up and said, you need to know something. You see the sea? I made it. And I'm greater than any circumstance you're facing. You don't have to be afraid because I'm here. My dear brothers and sisters, you don't have to be afraid because God is here. Well, in verse 28, the, the word better translates since. Lord, since it's you, Peter answered, command me to come out on the water. And I like the fact he, he didn't just assume upon God. He, he basically said, okay, God, if it's you, Jesus, if it's you, since it's you, uh, command me to come out. I ain't coming. Oh, boy, if we'd learn this. I ain't coming unless you tell me to. That would be a good thing to learn about God. How many times have we got in deep water because we didn't wait on God? We just said we'd do our thing. Churches are great for making plans and then saying, God bless them. It might be a better idea to pray and find out what God's plans are, and He will bless them. Just say it. Just say it. So if it's you, since it's you, command me to come out. And I will. Verse 29, come, he said. And climbing out of the boat, Peter started walking on the water, and he came toward Jesus. See, he took that step of faith. He, he got out of a perfectly good half-filled boat with water because of the waves and started walking toward Jesus. He took a gigantic step of faith. He simply acted on what Jesus said. Come. And when Jesus says, trust me, trust him. Trust him. But when he saw, verse 30, when he saw the strength of the wind, he was afraid. Now, doesn't that happen so often? Come on, don't we, don't we find ourselves in a boat and waves and wind and remember the wind's against us? And all of a sudden we see the strength of the wind and we take our eyes off Jesus. That's what happened to Peter. That's what happened to Peter. He took his eyes off Christ and looked at the waves. How often does that happen in our lives? We trust God, we trust God, we trust God. And then we get a side glance. And we start seeing how powerful the wind is. I want to remind you, Kevin, just remind you one more time. No matter how big the wind is, God is bigger. No matter how glaring the teeth of Satan, God is bigger. I'll even say this. No matter how glaring the teeth of Satan, the glaring teeth of God are stronger. Stronger. Now the Bible says that he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out. And what did he say? Lord, save me. Lord, save me. The best prayer, the best prayer you'll ever pray Lord, save me. I'm not talking about salvation. I'm talking about the storms of your life. You can word it if it makes you more, if it's more adaptable to your situation. Lord, help me. Again, it's not the matter, it's not the matter of the number of the words. It's not how rich your theology sounds when you pray. It's simply, listen, 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 listen. It's a prayer of dependence. 
At this point, Peter says, I need you. And how God in heaven, if he smiles, how God in heaven smiles when his children learn to pray, God, I need you. The problem is in America, we got so much stinking stuff that we don't call on God until we figure we can't handle it. And we got to learn to call on God every single day in every situation. See, that's what I'm saying. To me, y'all count on politics. Well, if the right man, there ain't no right man for the White House. I mean, have you seen the choices? But there is one right man. And he says, you call on me and I'll be there. No matter your storm, no matter your situation, I'll be there. Pray the prayer of dependence. God, I need you. And we've got to move on. It's, we're done anyway, but let me just close her up. Verse 31. Immediately Jesus reached out his hand, caught a hold of him, and said to him, Oh, you have little faith. Why do you doubt? And it's, really not a, it's not really about Peter's faith. The amount of Peter's faith is just misdirected faith. He took his faith out of Jesus and looked around. We do that. We do that. I hear too many people go, Well, if you just have more faith, just have more faith, just have more faith. Now, a little of the right kind of faith works. A little bit, a little kind of faith. You know, somebody said the faith of a mustard seed. Have you seen how small a mustard seed is? Yeah, it's small. It's small. But the nature of the mustard seed is what matters. And our faith, our prayers and our faith needs to be that of a mustard seed. God, I trust you. God, I believe you. Well, they got in the boat and the wind ceased. And then those in the boat worshipped him and said, Truly, you are the Son of God. And once again, that affirmation is, even though they saw 10,000 people fed, even though they saw 10,000 people fed, what was more meaningful to them was when God showed up at their rickety old boat. I mean, it's great to hear miracle stories around the nation. Do you hear what God did here? God did here. Let me tell you something. Nothing matters more than what God does in your storm. And most likely, whether it's the deliverance of a child, whether it's a healing, whether it's God walking through you, the death of a loved one, whether, it's, whether you lose your job and God miraculously provides, whatever it is, I'm telling you what will be meaningful to you is when God shows up in your storm and how he chooses to show up. And those things cause us to go, truly, you are the son. So what's our takeaway? We are called to be a people of faith. Not in dollars, not in governments. We are called to be a people of faith. And God wants us to trust him. See, I think it's pretty amazing if you think about it. Even though the boat wasn't very sturdy because it had water in it and stuff, Peter still left his best physical bet for the best spiritual bet. His best physical bet was stay in the boat. At least it was floating. But his best spiritual bet was God Almighty. And that's always better than our physical bet. Always. Trust Him. Lord, I need you. Would you bow your heads right there, please? Thanks for listening today, guys. And I really do pray that there's something today that you can take home. And maybe you're here today. Maybe you're here today and you know you, you go, wait a minute, you know, I've never um, I've never done this Jesus thing. I mean, I, I've heard about religion, 
I've heard about being a Baptist. But, but Dwayne, if, if I'm hearing you correctly, you are saying then that I can have forgiveness of my sins, not based on what I do, but what Jesus did. And the answer is yes. That's exactly right. We are not trying to sell you a membership in Dorsville Baptist Church, although we'd love to have you be a member. I'm not trying to sell you being a Baptist. Although if that's what God called you to be, I guess that's fine. This is a plea to trust the Son of God. It's a plea to trust and believe what He did. The Bible says that if we'll acknowledge the fact that we have sinned, turn from that sin and choose to follow Jesus, then we can have eternal life. We can have eternal life. He'll forgive us. Now, I would be glad to share that story with you even more today. But a whole lot of people in this room, I know, a whole lot of people in this room have already made that decision. Now I'm asking you, I'm challenging you to make a greater decision. And that is, are you willing to be a person of faith? Big faith. Are you willing, when that storm comes and that wind's against you and those waves come, when you don't have an answer, that you'll be willing to pray that prayer of dependence. Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you. I'm telling you, it's an amazing thing. And these days we live in, with our country where it is, our families where it is, it's a perfect time to learn to pray that prayer. God, I thank you so very much. I'm glad that you are creator God. I'm glad that you are all powerful. That, Father, you do hold the chain on the adversary. That because you're God and you show up, we don't have to be afraid. We can have courage. Even in these days, we can have courage. And it's not because of us. It's because of you. Holy Spirit, I know something. I know that there's no power in my words and no power in my voice. Nothing happens. But Holy Spirit, you draw men and women to yourself. You help teaching to get seminated in our hearts so it changes and impacts us. So God, I'm going to pray for that right now. Holy Spirit, if there's someone here and you're drawing them to yourself, would they have the courage to come and learn more about Jesus Christ? For my brothers and sisters, our church family, Lord, help us more than ever to be a people of big faith. Trusting you. Trusting that you always show up we can have courage and not be afraid. Jesus, I pray this in your precious name.